Daily. Season 2, episode 245 for September 2nd, 2023. Tonight we're going to be talking about the new Mini Cooper EV 2025 and its massive OLED screen. Smart enough to realize you're being lied to? San Francisco Doom Loop. Baltic nations plan to exit Russian power grid. Parking goes digital, solar, and civil. Uh, PSA for tonight is high chairs recalled. New phone works around U.S. embargo. Does this tube house make me look skinny? Patrolling honeybees spread resistance. Luxury tiny home community does its job. And Beetlejuice 2 may, uh, not may, it resurrects. Maybe. Yeah, actually, we'll stick to maybe. Emily Dietz. And neat power toys feature allows crop and lock, which is like a, a dance move. No, it's not. Oh, like, yeah, I can't think of what that's called. Let's get into it. The bend and snap. <laughs> I don't know if you all can hear this. Um, I'm playing... A, uh, <laughs> well, some may, this is actually coined Yacht Rock, um, but I've uh, I've heard that people get upset when you try and say that uh, Jimmy Buffett was Yacht Rock. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's not very <laughs> uh, palatable to the parrot heads. Yeah, so um, he passed away and... Um, yeah, I, I I dig I dig his music, um, and actually the whole ecosystem lifestyle around it. You know, um, <laughs> I'm just not comfortable enough to give everything up and just hang out on a beach and and be chill. I guess I have no chill, uh, but I uh, I I'm not a parrot head, but I play one in my backyard. <clears throat> So, oh, let me, I didn't, now I got it. Okay, so <laughs> this is how the sausage is made, folks. I am Mayor Watt, that is hometown.com, and up there is the AI that keeps me in check, but doesn't keep me back on the rails. You want to say hello? Good evening, hometown citizens, and happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. I went by fast. So did Friday. Even if it's a three-day weekend, it feels like it's just one day. All the days seem to go by quickly. All the days. So, folks, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> I don't know. There's a bunch of people out there that I'm sure are really enjoying it, but I don't know. Um, you want to just get into today's articles? We can uh, be snarky and, and throw our two cents into this as we go. Let's get going. Yeah, you can't just show me a graphic. You have to say, yeah. Yeah, but you already answered it for yourself, so I didn't provide an audio response. Uh, so the, if you want to keep going, let's go. <laughs> the sentient AI is just kind of playing along with me. Um, I rushed to, made, to make sashimi right before the show. Um, and... Uh, I keep looking at it going, I want to go and eat some more. It's it's right there. 
it's you'll have taunting. to turn off your visual for a minute it's taunting yeah and just <laughs> just eat right now asmr <laughs> oh no 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 that's not what i meant <laughs> like i'll have to say something and you can take a bite of your sashimi gotcha yeah, i'll i'll turn off my camera and you can talk for the next hour plus oh goodness okay uh 12 articles go no okay um. anyway <laughs> the you know what i'm gonna redo this intro there we go here the first article is over in hometown daily mini's new cooper ev centers a giant circular oled on the dash they normally have a giant circular console in the dash they don't have any they don't have instrumentation behind the steering wheel it's in the center of the dash oh so um, things like the the gas or speedometer the, everything right speed etc yeah. everything is centered on this circular middle console um, that is where all of the instrumentation is i love the look i love the style i, I would love to have a, a mini cooper ev Two things are missing. All-wheel drive. Well, three things. All-wheel drive, four doors, um, and swap out batteries instead of charging from a single port. For some reason, I thought you were going to say E and V when you said two things were missing. <laughs> no, the e, the e and the V is in there. Um, but I would also be afraid that too much water would cause it to ignite so that's what happened in florida not to a mini cooper ev but to an ev while well, it was being since towed. there seems to be flooding near hometown i'm not sure that's necessarily a good match oh my gosh now you're doxing this okay so the very first ar ar article that's the is the entire u.s <laughs> <clears throat> oh so yeah i'm sure somebody very capable is going to be able to find it Anyway, um, hometown is actually uh, uh, in the wires. So, good luck. Anyway. When things are going well, no water is flowing through. <laughs> through the wires, yeah. But it is a series of tubes. <clears throat> so, um, the all-electric Mini Cooper now has vibe-setting RGB lighting and a modernized interior with a huge... OLED screen. This is a huge OLED screen. It's normally not that big. That thing is actually massive. I mean, it almost like it, it almost blocks your view as the driver. It's kind of interesting. That is beast mode for a <laughs> instrumentation cluster. Jeez. Look at that thing. It gives off more. Well, I was going to say it gives off more light than hits it, but that doesn't apply to OLEDs. Uh, or any screen because yes it does give off more light <laughs> i'm so dumb well then you're being accurate and precise <laughs> uh west davis over at the verge yeah really um put this article together and um so i love everything about mini coopers um the i want all-wheel drive on a mini cooper they don't have that um but i want all-wheel drive um I want four doors. Um, basically, I want the Countryman in 
Mini Cooper EV style. I don't know if the uh, Mini Cooper EV is only the Mini Cooper because the Countryman style, it was a four door. Oh, it is all electric Mini Cooper. So it says Mini says the 184 uh, horsepower Cooper E can reach 60 miles per hour from a stop in 7.3 seconds, which is not that fast. Um, and has 214. <laughs> right. I didn't think it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while the more powerful 218 Cooper SE variant, which offers 243, can do it in 6.7. Still not fast for an EV. I'm a little sad about that. But you know what I'm going to do? Play the yeah. video. I'm going to play the video. But I'm going to mute it real quick. So it's a Mini Cooper ad. It's over on YouTube. You can actually do a search for it. It's introducing the new digital heart of Mini um and has stephanie worst on there or Verst. i don't know if it's a german last name it sounds kind of german um and they're going over some of the instruments fundamentals um, but it's an oled screen uh all full color apparently um flat panel i don't know if it's touch capable doesn't look like it but please it's class so keep your hands off of it um it's a round oled though high resolution looks really good um 240 millimeters in diameter i'm sure that there's maybe there will be ways to hack this so that you can make it do more than what it actually has right now that would be interesting because all I want to do is attach. Oh, wow. This thing is really neat. Yeah. So the steering wheel got smaller and the instrument cluster got bigger uh, in the new mini. Uh, the Cooper E uses a 40 kilowatt hour battery and the Cooper SE is 54.2. Um, keeps going. Wow. This is a really long Oh, yeah, it's three minutes. I'm not going to go through the whole thing for three minutes. Anyway, <clears throat> high resolution, full color. Looks like it's going to be fun to drive. It is the 2025 edition, though. Um, so maybe late 2024 is when it's going to get released. I don't think it's out now. The company says the Cooper E and Cooper SE, the two EV variants, have 190 miles and 250 miles of range, respectively as calculated using the European EV test cycle. And the numbers could drop to around 175 and 215 when the EPA test cycle is applied per Ars Technica. Oh, it is a big OLED touchscreen that now floats in front of the center. So, nice. So, I want that. Um, I do wish, though, that it was all-wheel drive, but it doesn't seem to hype all-wheel drive, does it? No, and it doesn't. I mean, I'm assuming they would call it a Countryman because I think isn't that the is... Countryman the only one that has all-wheel drive, or maybe um, the Clubman does too. I can't remember. I think the Clubman does as well. But I mean, I think they would specify that it was that model. Yeah, with it being electric, though, the footprint for it is different. No, that's not necessarily... true. So maybe there's I, I don't know, but I think they would make a to do about that in the article yeah it certainly doesn't look like it's 
like it's all wheel drive. What a bummer. Oh, and so the display runs Android. So yeah, you're going to be able to hack the hell out of that. If you can get to it, you know, cause um, it's hardware. That type of hardware um, may not be easily accessible unless you're, you know, a software engineer and engineer in general. Um, that way you can hack into the hardware itself and not just try and access a port. I don't know. Oh, and it's also voice controlled. That's yeah. neat. Yeah, it says uh, voice control can be activated by saying, hey, mini. And it's uh, used, as you might guess, for navigation, phone calls, in-car entertainment, numerous other vehicle functions. Pretty neat. Okay, let's keep going. Next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. While your burger may not always look like the advert, Burger King is facing a U.S. lawsuit over images of its Whoppers, but advertisers are allowed to exaggerate. This is a BBC article, and it's more like a take on what's going on by somebody. Um, Lucy Hooker is a business reporter over at BBC News, and... Um, it starts out with Chris is a big burger fan. He'll get one uh, on the way home if it's late or for dinner with his kids or sometimes just a quick snack to fill a hole. <laughs> All right. Um, yet once, uh, yet, yet more than once he's found himself sending pictures of his dinner to friends and fellow burger lovers so that they can laugh over them. The difference between what is advertised and what comes over the counter just seems so huge. Quote, most of the time it just looks like it's been sat on, he says. So when he heard about the Burger King customers in the U.S. were taking the company to court, he it struck a chord. You feel like you've been ripped off, says 42-year-old from South London, who preferred not to give his surname. But there's a picture of him. Just kidding. I don't think so. Oh, it is. <laughs> it says Chris, self-confessed burger guy. Chris says he sometimes feels conned by the food he has served. Okay, everybody in South London knows who that is now. Yeah. Oh my God. Everybody who reads Plus, BBC I'm is sorry. Go. I mean, that's not the worst thing to announce with your name attached to it. Like, right. oh, the burgers aren't large enough. Right. Well, they just don't look as appetizing as the marketing. And that's what this whole article is about. Um, and so the article starts talking about why it's okay and why it happens. And they make a statement that advertisers believe that those who are being pitched this are intelligent enough to realize that this is fake and that it's just marketing um and that and then they use a legal term called puffery well there's there's a limit to what can be referred to as puffery <laughs> um before it becomes illegal and, and that really is, if you are saying that that is supposed to look like that. <laughs> right. For those in the podcast, the laugh tells you they don't look <laughs> anything alike. <laughs> so uh, Chris sent a picture that uh, to his friends and to this article where it basically looks like a flattened. Uh, it's just flattened. It looks like somebody sat on it. It does not look as appetizing. I'd be really hungry. I'd have to be really hungry to eat that. Okay, you know what's weird is when I see the the photo where they're making fun of it, 
Yeah. I actually think that looks pretty good compared to what you see, so I didn't think that was particularly horrendous. That doesn't say much for how products come out of fast food. Yeah, so like it doesn't look as appetizing as the actual online menu, right? No, it doesn't, but I'm saying the picture of the unappetizing one looks more appetizing than what a lot of people actually, actually get. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. <clears throat> it really looks like it's slapdash put together, like somebody woke up drunk on Friday and remained drunk until Tuesday when they put the burger together. So, um, perhaps the burger you buy has suffered from being wrapped and left under a heat lamp with the result that the bun is a bit squashed, she suggests, and she being um ms wardle um and let's see ms wardle is head of new york and philadelphia based food styling company master p-s-t-i-r says there's a rule of thumb that pictures promoting food should not contain ingredients that aren't in the product well yeah that because then it's a fraud it's bait and switch it's not really what is actually in there right um so it says if you're promoting food, you can put sponges between slices to give the sandwich a fuller look. She says to make a slice of pizza the right cheese pull effect, you might need to add extra cheese taken from several identical pizzas. Which is, that's a lie because it's not really that much cheese. Exactly. Just like, like I think that's different than setting the cereal for instance, because that I understand. You can't be taking photos for an hour as it gets soggy. Well, that's just it. The The milk that is in it is typically Elmer's glue. Um, and they typically put stuff inside the liquid so that whatever is sitting on top stays on top. Right? Right. Um, I mean, I can appreciate that one. The cheese one to me sounds fraudulent. Right. Like all of this, it doesn't look like this when you get it. There isn't that amount of cheese. There isn't that style thickness of pickle. There isn't that thickness of onion nor of tomato. Um, well, and that's know. the problem, right? It's not that it's squished. I get that it's not going to look perfect. But the quantity of food is completely off. And yeah. remember the one with, was it KFC or Taco Bell? Where it looked like yeah, Taco a pancake, Bell. essentially. Yeah, Taco Bell. Yeah, where just it isn't, it isn't in there, you know, it, whatever you're paying for. And Taco Bell is the one that it, that <laughs> where I spent 60 bucks for three people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And uh, it, it doesn't it didn't seem like it was that much, but apparently it adds up fast. So you get a drink, you get a thing, you get a, a side, etc. But there you go. Um, so puffery, there is no specific rule against using these techniques in the U.S. Says Mark Bar Bartholomew, a professor of law at the University of uh, Buffalo in New York. As long as there's typos that I've seen in this, but, but anyway, as long as the image does not amount to a misrepresentation of the product, which that is not that so i think that misrepresents the product 
Right, because there is a quantity there. And maybe and items that are completely missing. Missing. Well, yeah, exactly. Missing? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> especially missing. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Um, so, and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission almost never steps into these kinds of cases. In the U.K., the regulations are a bit tighter. Although the underlying principle is the same, promotional images must not be misleading. Seems pretty damn misleading to me. Again, I my claim, my assertion is that it isn't at this stage of the game. It isn't that marketing is a lie. It's that the benefit of buying that product is no longer acceptable when the disparity between this $20 burger and this buck 50 burger is being aligned as being the $20 burger. But that's not how it is. This broken down hoopty of a burger where it looks like somebody found one onion. <laughs> Maybe one tomato slice, but it doesn't even look like a full slice. I don't even know. What is that right there? What is that? I don't even know what that other part is. I, I Anyway, it, the bun is smashed. It, it, it just, I don't know. But if you're hungry, you'll eat it, but not at that price point. Right. And food has gone up 30%. In some places, you know, 25, 38% on certain things, 35% on other things. Uh, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago. I gave you some stats about how much it's gone up. This is real, right? Nobody's salary is going up at the same rate that the food is going up. And since 2019 is when I heard the era of cheap food is over. And it's because consolidation of food suppliers has gotten to the point where you're basically screwed. There's limited competition, so there isn't a massive broad swath of suppliers that are vying for your bucks. Um, so puffery aside, they can puff smoke right up your butt and you're going to have to buy the food if you're going to go to fast food. Otherwise... Break out your grill and start making your own. I was going to say, yeah, that's the real solution, right? Make your own. Or at least yeah. make your own sometimes. Get local from a local butcher. If you're going to be doing burgers, lo uh, like if you're going to, if you're going to make your own, then pull it away from these mega corporations and, and start supporting your local community. We're starting to get balkanized in who's competing for our dollar. So if we don't support the local, it's going to continue to consolidate because the local families are going to bow out. I've seen farm after farm outside of hometown bow out because the generation that's following can go and make 10 times the amount of money a year in some other locality. Why? Because nobody's supporting the local. So go support the local. You may not be able to if you're living in Manhattan and you don't have the resources to drive out to the, you know, the rural areas of New York, but they are there. The only problem now, nowadays, is that there is a lot of polarizing issues 
that's driving a wedge between rural areas and suburbs and urban right. areas. And that's a real shame because we really do rely on each other. Um, so while all these farms start caving to uh, industry, right, they get bought out. You don't get that back because land is finite and you have to get further and further out to own land. True. And you might lose quality agricultural land or something. Yep. And then you, even if you find other land, it may not be sufficient. Yeah. And people with big money buy the quality stuff before the people who are aspirational trying to save it. So then it says small hands is the last sec section of this. It says if questions are raised up, it, um, it is up to a firm to provide evidence that their images show the genuine product. Quote, we know consumers are savvy. They understand ads are not reality, but there is a line. Our job is to decide when that line has been crossed, says Mr. King. Um, Mr. King, um, I don't know if that's Burger King. Um <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that's weird. That's interesting, right? Is there a, a rep that's actually, oh, Toby King. Whew. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I thought they were. <laughs> I jumped up here and started reading down. It was the last damn line on that previous section. Anyway, the Advertising Standards Authority is responsible for policing promotional images, except those in stores and on menus, says spokesman Toby King. Why are these carved out? Right, exactly. So does that mean the ones on the menus aren't policed? Um, right. So they can lie on the menus and because it's not in some other venue advertising like a commercial or something. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway. You know, what would be interesting is have you seen restaurants where they actually have um, like plastic models of the mm -hmm. food? You typically see that in mm -hmm. Japan, for instance. Yeah. Um. I wonder if that suffers from the same issues or if those are authentic. They are as representative as the staged photos. Um, because they're idealized for that product. So when they make the, you know, sushi roll, then it it's made to the liking of whoever it is that's requesting it. So it becomes the ideal product. Mm -hmm. But when you get it, you end up with something, a close approximation, burger adjacent or, you know, whatever, meal adjacent. I think this is the most patronizing thing because the response to Toby King's statement here, we know consumers are savvy. They understand ads are not reality. But there is a line and our job is to decide when that line has been crossed. It's so patronizing to say our consumers are savvy because the only response to that when you feel violated is no, I'm not. I feel violated by the fact that I'm being lied to in advertising. Right. And why should you have to investigate, right? Your, yeah, your the truthiness source. of the ad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So very frustrating for me. Um, because I've made that comment, you know, advertising is a big lie. I went through business school. I, I know these methodologies. 
uh, from some of the material that I've done in the real world uh, before and after business school. I know that it's all about spending money so that it looks so good that it creates the want that drives a person into your store. You know, make me want this pen. Greed is good. So if I can formulate the lie, then people are going to come in. All of this, this could be a, a sponge. This could be a sponge, not a real bun. This is plastic lettuce and plastic tomato, etc., etc. I don't know for sure if that's what this is, but that's what this is, right? It's all staged. And if they can get away from using fresh vegetables or fruit or materials because it'll wither away over right. eight hours, or they have to sit there and, you know, put it together uh, again and again and again, which is maybe what they're doing here. Um, but pretending that this is, you know, or I should say pretending that this that's where the big is problem this. is to me is not necessarily the ad. I'm kind of like, what's with the quality control of the actual restaurants? And yeah. if they can't live up to that, then that needs to dictate a di uh, not additional, but different advertising. I would love for somebody to do some research on this. I don't think that I have the resources easily at my disposal, but I'm sure that you would find right now that the lawsuits, 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 it's like a litigious Dr. Seuss, which I think Dr. Seuss probably is. Lawsuits. Anyway. I like it. Um, so the reason why people are now intolerant of the shenanigans is because it's so damn expensive. You want to make exactly. all of this go away? It's like Lower double, your fee. triple the price. And yep. then you feel like you're getting ripped off, essentially. Yep. So I agree. Um, I think that all of these companies, they would not be selling anything if their burgers in the ads looked like the burgers that show up. Like when I get something from Five Guys, it looks like an M1 Abrams battle tank fired through the bag <laughs> and and destroyed some of the burger and blew all of the fat and juice out into the bag. Yes, we are not going to get Five Guys as a sponsor. <laughs> but honestly, I haven't had Five Guys in a decade. So, probably longer. Anyway, let's keep going. We're 30 minutes into this. In two, two articles. Hey, so the next article is over in Hometown Daily. A hidden reason for San Francisco's remote work doom loop. They say it's air conditioning. Uh, no. Let me throw this into the chat. There you go. That's the first article. Um, I'm actually working on a, a solution for this. There's a second. And here is the third. Um, I'm, I'm steadfast in finding a solution. And <laughs> I thought I found one and then it broke. So anyway, I'm going to jump over to the source. This is over at Business Insider and Alistair Barr is the author. For those that are in the podcast listening to this, it, there's a picture here that shows somebody that's pressed up against an air conditioner because they say that the hidden reason for San Francisco's remote work doom loop is air conditioning. So the whole doom loop thing, we'll get to it here in a minute. So the takeaway is San Francisco remains firmly at the bottom of U.S. rankings when it comes to office attendance 
The city has famously cool summer, so workers don't need office air conditioning as much as other cities. Washington, D.C., which is hot and muggy in the summer, ranks top in terms of office attendance. But there's I have no idea people would flock to the office so they could get AC. In a place, in a community where there isn't any regularly like standardized installed base for um, air conditioning, then yeah. You know, some older buildings don't have it, so you have to have it in the window, and it's not necessarily powerful enough to, you know, suck the heat out of it, that massive you know, whatever, that whole 400 square feet of living space that you're paying $5,000 for in New York, Manhattan. Now, I certainly knew that people don't have air conditioning or sure. that they don't have quality air conditioning, but I didn't realize um, that would cause somebody to go to the office. Well, I don't think it is. If you have an option uh, between working from home and going into the office, unless you really like your office, you're not going to go in for the air conditioning. Um, not unless somebody else, like you basically treat it as a hangout for your friends. Your coworkers are your friends and, and you want to sit there. So they said the, the author of this article again says this got me thinking about San Francisco's infamous doom loop. This is the cycle where workers stay home and downtown remains relatively empty, hurting businesses that then close, making the location even less inviting. But that isn't I don't think it's the reason for the doom loop. What ended up happening in San Francisco was that uh, COVID hit. Everybody went work from home. Businesses failed fast because rent was exorbitant and wasn't being supported crime rolled in businesses couldn't recover crime people had to spend extra money on getting an outside bouncer um and people remained work from home so nobody was coming downtown to work why because we figured out that we can work from home for crying out loud why would we want to have to come into work <laughs> exactly in san francisco silicon valley is it, it takes hours to get from something where you can afford rent or a mortgage or a lease or whatever into the city and nobody wants to do that not unless you're in the city and then you're coping with high crime and empty buildings. Why? Because COVID is what shut it all down. And that's largely because people wouldn't get freaking vaccinated and wear a mask. All it did was spread. If everybody would wash their hands, wear a mask, get vaccinated, the vaccination is the biggest thing. Yeah, sure, some people couldn't do it because they had other health-related matters. But guess what? You still wear a mask. You still protect yourself. You do everything that you need to do to protect yourself. But you certainly don't go running around telling everybody, nobody should get vaccinated because I can't get vaccinated. And yeah, yeah, that makes no sense. There's always anomalous, you know, people that are getting sick. Um, and you still get sick when you have, even with the vaccine, you're still a carrier. You can still get the virus. It just doesn't impact you as much because you have the antibodies that suppress its response. 
the growth, the damage. Anyway, placer.ai tracks this stuff. It's a report for July 2023 shows visits to office buildings in San Francisco are still below 50%, uh, below 2019 levels. That puts the firm last among, uh, it puts San Francisco firmly last among major U.S. cities. What's the top city in terms of office visits? Washington, D.C., which is forecast to be 99 degrees on Tuesday. Actually, what did you say it was going to be? I think um, it looks like it's going to be actually over 100. Yeah. And then the temperature, what do they call And then you still have the heat index on top of that. That's right. So it says it's muggy as hell in D.C. in the summer, too. The author knows because they lived there for three years. Uh, and they recall that the AC was uh, particularly refreshing in the office where they worked then. No way were they going to sit at home in a small apartment without air conditioner and sweat all week. That's them. That may not be the standard. <laughs> um, this is very anecdotal. Um, yeah, but, and I think I might find a coffee shop or something. Yeah. I mean, people can work from home. They don't need to come into the office. You can sit on a beach and and do your job. For the most part, until you get into manufacturing where hands have to be on something. Or healthcare, uh, depending on what type of healthcare. Or yeah, whatever your job is, it may require you. But most white-collar jobs can be done remotely. You know, the moment that you have to use your hands on somebody else or something else other than a keyboard you don't have to be in the office anyway it says um more ceos are keen to get employees back in the office now including several leaders of tech companies in the san francisco bay area if the city weren't so cool during the summers they might get their wish um no I think that everybody is looking at CEOs who drag people back into an office are are ancient Luddites. The they're even if they're part of a tech firm, you're still uh, the equivalent of a, a Wyoming senator. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I I keep knocking on Wyoming because they issue EV technology and ramping up their electrical grid. Because they want that's to stay old school. Not that's necessarily the citizens. Right, right, right. Um, that's the senior leadership right now of Wyoming's government, state government. Um, anyway, I I knock on them for this, but in reality, it isn't the everybody. It's just the people that voted these numbnuts into office. Um, but it's the same thing about these CEOs. They like it the old way instead of evolving the new way. And what i it might build camaraderie so have the office open for people to come in voluntarily um or regularly like set it up you know come in once a week hang out get to know your co-workers but i guarantee you most of them are going to be hanging out on discord or reddit or whatever together then hanging out in the office the only reason why anybody is in the office is because they're mandated to come into the office and it destroys the work-life balance if i have to spend two hours in traffic both ways each day monday through friday that i'm not getting paid for that (laughs) all it does is sour me to the experience of working for that company so 
let me work from home. Quit being in a minutes. Um, okay. Did you want to add anything to this? <laughs> no, I don't have anything else for this one. Let's go. Next article's over in Mobile. Uh, the three Baltic nations plan to uh, accelerate their exit from Russia's power grid by almost a year. I don't know. Ukraine seems to be kind of helping them along with bombing various places now with drones, um, which is fine with me. Get the hell out of Ukraine and all of this stops. Um, the prime ministers of the three Baltic countries agreed uh, Thursday to speed their nation's disconnection from Russia's power grid by nearly one year and connect to the uh, continental European energy network by February 2025. This is pretty amazing. Um, so this is an APnews.com article uh, over from Tallinn, Estonia. Um, the uh, prime ministers of the three Baltic countries agreed Thursday to speed up their nation's disconnection from Russia's power grid. Um, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania respectively pledged the countries would complete the decoupling as soon as the technical capacity was in place, which hopefully will be February 2025. Um, the shifted geopolitical situation resulting from the unprovoked inv <laughs> invasion of Ukraine, it's because of Ukraine, by the Russian Federation has also significantly deteriorated the energy security situation in the region and increased the risk of unplanned desynchronization of the Baltic states' electricity systems uh, from the Russian grid, the three prime ministers said. Look at that. Okay, is it just me, but how great is their um, energy going to be until 2025? Um, well, I mean, it might be off and on, you know, I don't know how, what do you mean? Well, I'm just saying, you know, like, Hey, I'm not going to be uh, doing this anymore. <laughs> They're already having problems. Oh yeah. Well, who knows what Russia's going to do? Um, Putin might, might respond. <laughs> how this is a, my my chuckle is a coping mechanism because if i say out loud what i think could happen then it's a very serious issue and i'm just not ready to constantly deal with you know the, <laughs> somebody Those topics yeah the just uh, military action against uh Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania um, on top of Ukraine. I, I think that anybody who was once part of the band might get Yeah, a... I wasn't going there. I was really just talking about the energy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to fluctuate. Oh, sorry. Um, we have a planned outage for the next 12 hours. That kind of thing will continue will happen if it hasn't already started happening but they already cite that there's instability okay let's keep on going the next article is over in hometown daily the future of parking will be digital solar and possibly civil we're going to move straight on over to the source this is a jake lingaman um article um at newsweek.com right and it says here EV parking is poised to be the next infrastructure battleground. The Biden administration would like half of all vehicles sold by 2030 to be electrified, and the Inflation Reduction Act has allocated billions of dollars to go toward EV tax incentives and charging network infrastructure. I really don't like 
charging network infrastructure um, for a multitude of reasons, but primarily it's slow. If, if somebody can tell me that in five, maybe 10 years, we will have a charging network that is at parity with the five minutes it takes to fill up my ice vehicle, internal combustion engine vehicle, um, then I'm game. I'll wait. Although who knows what might happen anyway, asteroid might come landing on us. Um, so my point is the whole idea of a charging network basically consolidates who has the ability to provide energy and it's firmly rooted in only one or two people. Why? Because for somebody to get entrenched, they basically have to have a massive amount of wealth, run the power lines, tap into the grid, provide the service. It's not easy. There's a finite amount of real estate. And as more and more people find out that you are doing X, Y, and Z, they get more and more leverage. So they charge more. It gets more expensive. As population density increases, it gets harder to put in an EV charging station, let alone one that allows 30 cars to just sit for two freaking hours to charge to 80%. None of it makes sense. Where can you sit for two hours, right? I mean, we've been talking about people aren't going to the office. That would have been about the only place you could sit for that long. You basically pull over to a massive, it's like a trucking, uh, you know, the massive truck like stops. A rest stop. Yeah, but bigger. Like it has to be bigger because it looks like that, which is row after row of charging station for cars. It's like a, like an old Sonic or an old drive in a diner kind of a place where you park and some car hop dry, uh, roller skates over to you and takes your order, right? So maybe if Sonic were to have charging stations at the same time so you can charge your EV, then it might make sense. You're killing two birds with one stone, although I hate that phrase, but anyway. But this is this these massive arc stations where it provides charging, but you need this huge pad, a huge electric conduit going to it um, in zero competition because you can't just plop these things everywhere because it's massively expensive. But I could, if we had fast swap battery tech, you could have a, ga a gas station in contract with a battery conditioning company that brands their product and swaps in and out batteries. They monitor quality control you make sure that your fast swap tech is capable of doing the swapping we standardize around battery tech and people compete and the gas station competes it's now an ev station swapping batteries like so many duracell batteries getting pulled in and out of cars constantly by a machine but that's not what we're doing Arc is the one that owns it. Arc is the one that's going to be making money. Arc is the one that's going to control it. Just like uh, uh, Tesla has fast charging stations, Tesla is the one that owns it. 
you're not they're not competing at the same level but nowadays why aren't they publicly owned uh because then when a mistake ha- when something bad happens everybody points at everybody else that it's their job you have you have to have some type of a profit motive um I mean, look at the freeways. There's potholes all over the place. Why? Because there isn't somebody that's held dramatically accountable until the next election cycle when the roads are still so crappy that they vote somebody out. So the article talks about various things. Parkways and being mobile um, are trying to improve parking for EV drivers using digital technology solutions. The Parkways app allows consumers to seamlessly search what the heck? Oh, I must have done a search for something. Um, oh, I uh, thought that was in the article itself. No, I think I was searching for ARC. Um, and uh, the San Diego-based Beam Global produces a 100% solar-powered off-grid energy EV station that can be transported and redeployed easily by truck. There's no way that that can scale and charge as fast as one that's tapped into the grid because there isn't enough return on the investment of solar cells capturing sun with enough intensity to supercharge a car it just doesn't happen right now um if they if they do then it's in very specific states during very specific times of the year um the moment that a storm well, I comes. I find it interesting that it's San Diego based. Yeah, and but there's too much weather variability in San Diego. Yeah, but there's a lot of sun there, which there isn't True. as much at some other locations. Yeah, but I mean, San Diego is getting damn near close to, well, it doesn't rain that much. I was going to sit there and joke about how it's basically the West Coast Hawaii, but it doesn't rain randomly throughout the day like in Hawaii. Anyway, um, so there's that beam trailer. So you're going to have these parked somewhere for hours with a car in there charging, but it's not, this is something that has to be deployed and how much it says that our chargers are about 5.8 kilowatts, which is level two charging. They can put any level two charger on the system, including Electrify America, ChargePoint, etc. It's very rare that someone is charging from zero to 100. Something like 95% of the vehicle uh, life is not being used. So that's a lot of charging time. I'm not even sure what that really means because you're going to be sitting there for two hours plus at level two trying to charge to 80%, let alone 100. And that's why they're bragging about not getting to 100%. But it's that last 60 to 80, 80 to 100 where the time plugged in, you know, goes vertical. You just sit there and you have to wait. So, um I know that I've gone through quite a few of the articles. So, I think we've gone like five of them and I I didn't throw this article in um and this article into the chat. Um, but we're going to keep on hustling through the news. Let's keep going. Come on. Oh my goodness. 
The next article is over in uh, Stock Marketeers. We're going to do this one really fast. 83,000 high chairs recalled over injury risk after 24 kids have fallen from the safety seats. Or the faulty seats, I should say. Um, the defective Boone Flare and Boone Flare Elite high chairs have resulted in 11 injuries, including bruises and scratches, after the seat separated from the base. So all 80... Oh, that's weird. I wonder at what point it fails from this seat, from that base. So it has a like a tiny little pin holding it in and it snaps. That's wild. Right. So 24 falls leading to 11 injuries, including bruises, scratches after the seat separated from the base. This is what it looks like. Um, it actually is kind of a neat high chair, but it looks more like it would be in a restaurant or something like that. <laughs> it absolutely does. Um, so, uh, the recall involves 17 models of Boone Flare and Boone Flare Elite high chairs manufactured in China and imported by Tomy International Incorporated of Oak Brook, Illinois. The full list of the affected models is on the CPSC site. Um, you'll have to follow the link. Uh, let me throw that link into chat. So if you know anybody that has a, a high chair that looks like that, I mean, it looks like a bar stool, but it has a, a, a kid's seat on it. Uh, you know, a, yeah, I don't know how to describe that other than a kid's seat. Um, but if you follow the link through hometown over to the site, it'll have more information. But that's our PSA for today. Let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in Technology Today. New phone sparks worry that China has found a way around U.S. tech limits. Uh, Huawei, uh, which has been under U.S. sanctions for years, released the phone pointedly during Gina Raimondo's visit to Beijing. Um, the article is by Ava Dow, I believe is the name, um, over at the Washington Post. Um, it usually has a soft paywall, so uh, and sometimes it can go a hard paywall. But anyway, um, so they have developed a chip entirely internally uh, to China, something that the U.S. has been trying to prevent um, for many years, but apparently now they've got all of the technology they need to build their own chips from end to end. Um, I'm sure there was no industrial espionage. Um, so the major uh, geopolitical significance, he said, has been to show that it is possible to completely design without U.S. technology and still produce a product that may not be quite as good as cutting edge Western models, but is still quite capable. Yeah. Um, so they're working hard to internalize all of their production while we continue to send it all over <laughs> uh, and then yeah, grouse that about make sense to me. Like, I, I mean, are they making other ones? Yeah, but they use, um, well, it depends. Like there is a certain level of quality control. Certain engineering specs are, are given so that the machines can produce it, but the IP is protected from being utilized and there's oversight. Nobody is allowed to get the designs from end to end and exfiltrate them from the location. It's almost like a military operation where there's like a skiff that's controlling um, the 
the distribution of information and computers are air gapped so that nobody can just plug in a USB drive and then walk away and plug it in somewhere else and blah, blah, blah. Um, Technobabble uh, across the board, but the higher end chips are under ever greater monitoring so that the IP doesn't get out into the wild. Plus, when somebody starts asking for X, Y, and Z product, the people that facilitate that level of technology may or may not be entirely manufactured in the U.S. because that's the higher end stuff and it's protected with greater tenacity. Um, so one person told the Washington Post that the Mate 60 Pro has a 5G chip. Speed test posted by early buyers of the phone online suggests its performance is similar to the top-of-the-line 5G phones. In July, Reuters reported Huawei's imminent return to the 5G phone market, citing three technology research firms speaking on condition of anonymity. The moment that any of the companies have a, a reference model of their this phone um, and do x-ray analysis of this chip and start peeling back its protective layers and find that there is a patent infringement, it'll get locked out of European markets and the United States again. So it'll be stuck in China, which albeit a massive market. Um, <clears throat> so it says uh, Nikkei Asia has reported citing sources that SMIC would be using what's known as the seven nanometer process to make chips for Huawei. The most advanced level in china we're down to like four um, is less uh, more sophisticated much much more yeah nanometers um we're getting down to the level where electrons hop the distance from one um chase to another so yeah it it we're at the we're getting we're on the cusp of this quantum entanglement kind of thing <laughs> um, where it's all blurring the line about what it is that's conducting electricity in a straight line or not. Um, there's a lot more in this article. I, um, I can't possibly go over all of it um, right now uh, because I've been kind of dawdling. But um, suffice it to say that uh, China is still hell bent on either cloning the technology or advancing its own fundamental research. A lot of scientists in the U.S. and China work together. Um, that's not unheard of. They te researchers tend to uh, look past politics in the global politics side of things and focus on academic and research and grant funding politics, which is a completely different animal. Um, so that what may have happened here is some of the technology, some of the IP that's developed by researchers that um, is given somewhere else. The, the researchers were paid enough to work in China domestically and develop seven nanometer for China or hand in hand. The Chinese researchers developed the technology entirely on their own. It wouldn't be unheard of. Um, but jumping from, you know, 3G to 5G is quite the leap. 
um, in a vacuum. Yeah, I would say so. By so. the way, this does mention the thing about the fewer nanometers in the process, the better. Yeah, anything smaller, and the the smaller you go, um, the better. The more you can pack into a smaller footprint. So, but then you run into problems like what I was mentioning about an electron hopping from one chase to another, and um, heat builds up and can't be dissipated fast enough. <laughs> so you have this tiny little chip and then a heat sink the size of my fist because, <laughs> oh, they do mention it right there, 400 nanometer. So yeah, uh, TSMC is pretty much the preeminent uh, chip manufacturer um, and they're firmly in Apple's um court so much so that tsmc is actually coming to the united states i think in arizona arizona yeah um if everything works out we shall see but i hope so anyway let's keep on moving next article is over in the hometown daily channel take a look at the skinny tube house that's just four, uh, 14 13 feet wide and is home to three generations. It's in uh, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. An architecture firm has put a modern twist on the popular Vietnamese tube house. The five-level residence in Ho Chi Minh City uh, in Vietnam is uh, home to three generations. The property attracts attention as minimalist design is unusual in Vietnam. Let's go take a look. Business Insider always has these great photo-driven articles. It's pretty cool. Geoda Man is the author of this over at businessinsider.com. Um, did I throw... Here, let me throw this into the chat so that y'all can follow it. Um, so there's the article. <laughs> oh, and it's uh, the actual property. Yeah, and it is the property. It's interesting. It's kind of... Well... I don't know what the width of this is, so I don't know how deep it goes, but it's four stories tall. Maybe, maybe five it if it has it was a basement. five, but maybe yeah. there's an underground. Basement, yeah. Um, the five-level residence in Ho Chi Minh City, uh, Vietnam, is home to three generations. The property attracts attention because of its minimalist design. The narrow tube houses have been around in Vietnam for decades. The skinny homes known as, oh my God, I'm going to try it. Nyaong, maybe, um, in Vietnam, were among the most popular type of buildings as land is expensive and property tax is calculated based on the width of a house. Wow, really? Architecture Studio I'm STD. surprised we don't have like Dr. Seuss structures, you know, like a hundred stories tall or something. But uh, it's only three feet deep. Right, right. That's pretty wild. Um, so minimalist style... Uh, building is only 13 feet wide, has five levels, and is home to three generations. I've said that like 15 times. The company designed and constructed the skinny house for a family of six for 554 million Vietnam Vietnamese dong, which is $230,000. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it could be pronounced something completely different. Um, I, I'm not sure why I've never heard the... What the denomination is what is the name of the currency i don't think i've ever heard it from vietnam interesting um 
So a married couple, a pilot and flight attendant wanted a uh, residence that could accommodate their two children, the husband's parents and a housekeeper on a plot that they owned. It took the studio about two months to devise a full concept. Wow, that's pretty cool. The walls slide open on the yeah, outside. That's pretty neat. Um, apparently land is very expensive. Wait, this is the same unit? So the width is measured how? Because wouldn't this be the width? <laughs> right? I guess this is the width that they measure it. Those are different Not pictures the, at different times with the shutters. Like the shutters, right? Yeah. So, but it's 13 feet wide, right? So mm -hmm. let's let's say that how deep is it? I haven't seen any of see it's pretty said. deep it's like a shotgun but stacked so it's only 13 feet wide from here to here that's the measurement that they measure it on but you know what i was saying is if this is the front view right because it's 13 feet wide let's say that this is the shotgun side view right i know that this is with the windows open three different ways um or four including that right one. But, but yeah you're only getting tax based on measurement that, in one direction that one measurement but there's width and there's depth and there is height so width is fixed at whatever the front width of the house is <laughs> right so everybody wants a skinny tube house that's hilarious like... that's an, a very interesting way to you know denote the taxes um but yeah you know if i was the tax person and i was sitting there trying to generate revenue for the you know local community or whatever then i would look at the side as being the width of the house you know this is the depth there's the height interesting so there's a master bedroom and three further bedrooms to accommodate the three generations of the family and their housekeeper. Oh, I wonder. Where's the housekeeper? Poor thing. Basement. The ground level has a play area for children. As Trung said, it can be dangerous for children to play on the street. Oh, so sad. It also had a retractable roof, it said. Did it show that? Oh, yeah, that right there. Outdoor space, retra retractable roof. Is that it? Barbecue mm -hmm. area with an outdoor seating and retractable sunroof. That's pretty cool. It's very, when they say minimalist, this is almost like picture perfect clean. <laughs> you know, there's well, just there's there, nothing there. There's nothing like on no the table. Decoration, nothing. Yeah. Um, they even have a faucet and a drain, uh, which is something that I say that people need for their teenagers a faucet and a drain in their room just hose it all down <laughs> so plenty of open space except that you can't go outside unless you're on the roof um this almost looks like you're in water there's like a little i know i think that's interesting it's like a water line right there you know it's pretty fascinating kitchen it looks like a galley house or a shotgun house um which you would find here in um like uh what call it louisiana oh right or like new, new orleans. orleans right more specifically new orleans 
Um, so studio has two months to, it took two, two months to design the home and create a modern minimalist aesthetic. It's, it's very brutalistic, you know, it's concrete, sharp angles, straight up. <laughs> I mean, it looks really neat, but it doesn't look very, um, warm. Yeah. It's kind of, it looks yeah. very sterile kind of. And so modern, and then you have like rusted roofs and stuff like that. So, anyway, pretty interesting. I would probably live in a house like that, except that I would not want to be surrounded by that density. Let's keep going. Next article is over in uh, Mobile. Patrolling honeybees expose spread of antimicrobial resistance. Bees could become biomonitors checking their neighborhoods. To determine how far my antimicrobial resistance or AMR has spread, according to research by uh, Macquarie University scientists. Let me throw this into the chat so you can follow it. Um, the article is over in phys.org. Uh, Macquarie University put this article together. It says honeybees equal biomonitors of environmental contaminants. So I guess they scoop them up and test them. Um, at least 700,000 people uh, die each year due to drug-resistant diseases, according to the World Health Organization, uh, WHO, not the band, and um, which estimates that 10 million people will die due to AMR by 2050. But we have a few tools to keep track of its spread um, in the environment. Apparently, it's going to be honeybees. Uh, the study published in Environmental Science and Technology um, recruited honeybees which can be crowdsourced environmental proxy as they interact with contaminants in soil, dust, air, water, pollen that they forage. And because they interact with human environments, so they really are a good indicator. That's what the article says. The author, Kara uh, Fry, first author, an adjunct research fellow at Macquarie, I guess it's pronounced. Macquarie? Macquarie, uh, universities. maybe. Macquarie? Macquarie. Maybe that's it. Macquarie. Sorry, folks. Uh, Macquarie University School of Science and Natural Sciences and also Senior Research and Development Officer at the Environment Protection Authority Victoria or EPA uh, Victoria. Uh, bees only live for about four weeks. So whatever you're seeing in a bee is something that is in the environment right now. That's actually a pretty brilliant take, huh? Yeah, and I, of all the things we've seen about bees, I've never seen a statement along those lines. Pretty amazing. I'm, I wonder what they find, right? So specifically, she was looking for genetic elements called class one integrons or integrons, um, key drivers of resistance to antibiotics. She also looked for toxic metals such as lead. As humans have released their own bacteria into the environment, class one integrons, have uh, spread into other natural systems. You can now find them on every continent, even Antarctica, and you can find them in really diverse spaces. The study found that more than 80% of the bees sampled across all hives were positive for one or more antimicrobial resistance targets, surprising the researchers by showing that AMR is prevalent irrespective of the land use context. So that's not good. That is not good. We're basically whatever survives through our ability to kill it off is becoming the next superbug, and it's just evolving. 
it's a natural thing. It's survival of the fittest, even at the microbial level. So really, yeah, but we've accelerated that by oh, use sure. of um, science. Unfortunately, <laughs> in the pandemic, we did, but we did before that, right? Sure. Things like sanitizers and yeah. and stuff contributed greatly to that. Yeah, when it's ninety nine point nine nine percent, the only thing that survives is the best. <laughs> so yeah, you end up with some superbug. If it survives long enough to reproduce, then you know. It could be the next uh, MERS case, right? Um, so it says, in addition, we should also uh, take a look at the products we are using in our homes and avoid those with added antimicrobial agents. And it's, it really does come down to the fact that we do need to build up our antigens. We need to build up our uh, defenses. Um, and when we short circuit natural selection, um, then we have to lean more on science. There comes a time where you have to activate science like COVID because it would have ended, you know, the entire species for crying out loud, or at least knocked us down to the point where we weren't sustainable. Um, but for the most part, people should be getting sick from time to time in moderation, treat the symptoms, build up your defenses so that you don't become so susceptible to your environment that one sneeze 30 feet away lands you in the emergency room. Um, but we also shouldn't be polluting the entire planet um, to the point where even bees are now our... Uh, they used to put uh, canaries in a coal mine to show that... <laughs> Exactly. Um, this sounds very reminiscent of that. Yep. So we'll keep an eye on this. This is just one more thing um, to be aware of, but not to be, it's not about fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's just to draw awareness to what's going on out there. Pay attention and to the And don't forget world. to put those bee bricks on your property. Bee bricks would be fun. Although those were for solitary bees. Yes, but this is yes. yet another reason why we need to keep our bees around. Yep. And we have multiple reasons already. If you got a lot of land, put beehives out in your far off places so that bees have a home to go to. Okay, folks, let's keep on hustling. Next article is over in Hometown Daily. A $1.7 million prefab tiny home community was designed to help resolve or solve homelessness in an expensive Southern California city. A year later, half of its residents have found homes. Of the 66 people who have stayed at Dignity Moves Santa Barbara Prefab Tiny Home Community, 36 have gone on to find permanent housing. Not bad. That is spectacular. Um, what? Where did I? What? Hold on a second. Did I just grab the wrong? There we go. Yeah, I must have grabbed the wrong thing. Let me reopen that link. There we go. Smooth. First time. Brittany Chang over at businessinsider.com put this article together. Um, I believe we talked about this. Um, I'm certain we talked about this. So, and it was one of, one of, I believe one of the things that I said was 
it gives a person a location so that they can actually move on once they've been stabilized. Um, so one year ago, Dignity Moves opened a prefab tiny home community to house Santa Barbara, California's unsheltered residents. Of the 66 people who have stayed at the community, 36 have gone on to find permanent housing. So they even the takeaway is take a look around the tiny home community. So let's go back. Yeah, I think it is. It's yeah. So let's rewind one year to July 2021, which this seems like a weird article. Considering that would be two years ago, but yeah, maybe um, that's an error. Um. So. In a former parking lot flanked by palm trees, blue skies, and views of the mountains, a 1016 Santa Barbara stood and still stands as a secure community for unhoused folks in the downtown area. That's pretty interesting. It's like a little walled garden. Mm -hmm. um, the tiny home community, located about 1.5 miles from the coastline, wow, cost $1.7 to build in 2022. So, typo in their headline. Santa Barbara County provided $700,000 to help finance the build while companies like IKEA donated furniture. The community was designed to serve as interim housing, a way for previously unsheltered people to transition into, um, into the next phase of their life, permanent housing. Um, and over the course of one year, the sunny collection of tiny homes has blossomed into success story for the nonprofit and its residents. Pretty cool. Um, the property's tiny homes were built by Los Angeles-based Boss Tiny House. About 20% of them are occupied by couples. That's pretty cool. You know, it, it gives somebody a place that they can have mail sent to. They can apply for jobs and say that they're at this location. It stabilizes a person. And 66 people, at least, were stabilized to some degree and 36 of them have moved on um, and most importantly there are locks on every door uh, quote we take for granted what it feels like to be able to be alone Elizabeth Funk the founder and CEO of the nonprofit told insider um, yeah as long as everybody sticks to the rules and everybody it doesn't turn into fist fights and nobody's getting drunk off their ass and uh you know causing problems then everything is fine um these interim residents also have access to several community oriented spaces on-site restroom showers laundry um it costs dignity moves about thirty-five thousand dollars a year per person to run this location that's pretty pricey because they have 66 people yeah Wow. It is, but when you think about all the expenses for people, I mean, I, I don't know that I think that's high. I'm not sure what that includes. Maybe utilities and things? Oh, man. Maintenance and everything, yeah. Um, Dignity Moves has needed to relocate about 16 of its residents to other facilities like treatment programs or psychiatric care. Um, besides the downtown Santa Barbara community, the nonprofit operates additional locations in Sonoma County and Bay Area, including San Francisco. Cool. Pretty cool. Um, 
there's more if you want to go and check it out you can follow the link the, this the actual... is gonna sound minimal but mm. one thing that's noticeable from the photos is it doesn't look like you would typically expect of um support for unhoused people i mean it's very light and bright and mm -hmm. it just doesn't look like like it looks uplifting i guess is the way to put it yeah i mean it, i know that's just the aesthetic but i think that impacts people it, it looks like a, a person can live there in with dignity and not feel like they're just a cast off so um, and having all of the amenities allows them to um, remain stable and, and go and look for a job and slowly move on. I think it's wildly expensive in California, but um, if uh, they can do it, uh, all the more. Well, they also to... have a very high unhoused population in California, so I guess it's good that they're doing it there. Yep. There's no other way to do it. Other, any other way, you're a sociopath. You know, when you sit there and grab unhoused and ship them off to some other state, not only are you a sociopath, but you're an asshole. The next article is over in the continuity report. Beetlejuice's story tease means 35-year-old Lydia mystery may finally be solved. New details about Beetlejuice 2's story indicate it's a 35-year-old mystery about Winona Ryder's Lydia Dietz will finally be solved after years of potential sequel ideas and talk of continuing the classic horror comedy story, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice 2 is finally happening with plenty of long-standing questions uh, now having the chance to be answered from the mysterious way that time moves in the afterlife and how Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice actually died to unanswered questions about Lydia's backstory, Beetlejuice 2 has over three decades worth of queries to acknowledge after the original 1988 film's events. So this article is over at ScreenRant.com. Jordan Williams is the author. Um, one of the big things that everybody is trying to hash out is Lydia Dietz's mom, because she's a she's the daughter of the husband. And the stepmom is, um, what is her name? Delia Dietz. So there is a Lydia Dietz's mom, Emily Dietz. And there is a whole Beetlejuice on the stage in New York play. And in there is, at the beginning of the show, is Emily Dietz that gets mentioned and so there's talk that emily deets will be brought and that's why i titled this beetlejuice 2 may resurrect emily deets <laughs> i thought it was <laughs> kind of funny um i don't know how old she would be in the show um or anything it says 30 odd years right deets family for the 30 odd years of beetlejuice's wild ending because you really don't know how, like, what is, there's something else there, right? Because the, the family that died in the, well, it, off of the bridge, um, they're still living in the house. The Dietzes are living in the house. Beetlejuice was sent back to the afterlife and had his head shrunk. 
and then it just ends. Um, That's we right. also so we just never knew, and we've had to wait decades. Yep. Um, so what happened to Lydia's mother? Because it was never mentioned in the original, uh, and um, Beetlejuice two story hints at Lydia's mother secretly playing a major role, but I don't know of anything. I haven't found anything that mentions it. Beetlejuice two's themes could change one crucial relationship from the original movie. These two, I don't know. Adam and Barbara's Beetlejuice two absence is more confusing. Um, without Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin returning to Beetlejuice two to reignite their familial bond with Lydia when Noda Ryder's character will need a replacement for a guiding figure in this generation. Um, Catherine O'Hara is confirmed to return to Beetlejuice two, which sets up the possibility for Delia and Lydia Dietz. Uh, to have healed their rift over the past 30 years. Delia's the mom, the stepmom. Lydia's the daughter. Um, but Emily Dietz is the step, is the real mother of Lydia. Um, and I guess Jenna Ortega is in this. Yeah, she's going to be Lydia's daughter. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I, I really like the original Beetlejuice. Um, I hope that they write something equally entertaining. Uh, but for the life of me, I think people always just kind of poo-poo something that has been untouched for 30 years to modernize it and and touch it again. It's yeah, and I think without the two characters that kind of started off the whole movie, that's going to be interesting. While they're not really the focus it just seems kind of odd without that yeah are they even mentioned in the article yeah it said that they weren't returning yeah i know but what are the names of the characters does it say did it say oh, i don't remember hmm. oh well doesn't matter they're not going to be there so it doesn't matter okay let's keep on going we'll we'll talk about this um in continuity report when it comes down the line i'm sure and finally the last article for today is microsoft power toys crop and lock which is the computer version of the pop and lock hi or the bend and snap the bend and snap yeah uh, microsoft has released let me finish that title microsoft power toys crop and lock lets you make mini app windows um, this is really actually pretty cool. So Microsoft has released a new feature for its PowerToys utility suite called Crop and Lock, which lets you crop an app window to show only the details you want to see. The company uh, brought PowerToys back from the dead in 2019 and open-sourced it on GitHub. Other tools of the suite include toggles for small yet useful uh, features like plain text pasting or the ability to keep an app always on top. Um, so the article is over at theverge.com. Wes Davis is the author. The deck statement says Crop and Lock gives you two options, a thumbnail that serves as a live feed from the app and an interactive scrollable window. The way that this works is you, you basically run Power Toys and then you uh, do the Windows key control shift T um, for a thumbnail or reparent, which allows you to do a little selection of a window, and then you can scroll within that window. 
for just that page that you are looking at, uh, be it a web page or be it some anything else that has the ability to scroll. Um, so uh, the show, their own Sean Hollister gave the feature a spin, making a thumbnail crop of his Steam downloads and another crop of his office lights from Home Assistant so that he could keep a small window of only those controls. He found that creating the micro web browser with the reparent mode was nice, but only allowed for vertical scrolling. So yeah, that's basically what it shows right there. So I wouldn't be surprised that it's only vertical scrolling. Um, and noted that you could close out the cropped app window, the former full window reappears. So the moment that you click that little cropped window, it'll pop out to the full sized one. It's pretty neat. Um, I don't have it to, I don't have uh, the newest Power Toys version um, installed to highlight this, so. I think the name is funny, the Power Toys. Power Toys. It's been around for a long time and it got pulled out from mothballs um, and then open sourced, which is really interesting. So pretty neat. Okay, anyway, folks, um, that is it for tonight's show. Let's go all the way back to Main Street, mash that welcome sign, and you get a whole bunch of new articles. Oh, wow. A former Marine arrested, accused of stealing $344,000 in VA benefit payments. Yikes. Hey, the thousands stranded at Burning Man. There's been flooding, so nobody can leave, and they're basically like conserve food and water. Yeah, shelter in place, and it's all muddy, so they can't even leave anyway. Maybe some can, but so much for a well-planned art exhibit. Um, let's see, Terminator's ultimate weapon was only unlocked by alien DNA? What is that one? Should the sentient AI have access to this article? <laughs> oh no they're giggling e, I don't know maybe I need to look at that one uh, please don't <laughs> it's funny um, so hey do you know when um, Lower Decks releases when when is that coming out yes is it like give me just September a second 5th? it's pretty soon um, uh, September 7th Oh, okay. Unless they updated it. Gotcha. Katy Perry performs Secret Las Vegas show at Allegiant Stadium. Really? Interesting. Um, I don't know. There's a bunch of other stuff. But that's it. We done for today? We are. I was just confirming it is still September 7 for Lower Decks. Valve banned 90,000 Smurf accounts from Dota 2, then got the main accounts too. Uh, Smurfs are controlled accounts. Um, oh. There's a way to steal things with a bucket in Starfield after all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Starfield has been quite a wild ride, folks. Um, I was going to stream it, but I was streaming and um, I, I'm <laughs> basically competing with people that have 60,000 viewers um, and uh, I'm not streaming eight hours a day. So anyway, if you're interested, send me an email to uh, mayor at hometown.com. Uh, okay. So that's it folks. We're done for today. 
I am Marwat. That is uh, that is hometown.com. That right there is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say bye. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and for all of you who aren't watching uh, and didn't see the visualizer and didn't see what I saw, the AI did their equivalent of waving even though they don't have you know a body and arms they did the digital it looks like the matrix just cascading digits streaming yes just like that okay anyway that's it folks i'll see you tomorrow and the ai may or may not depending on how busy they are who knows See you tomorrow, folks, 9 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.